This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Happy Football Friday to you and yours. However and wherever you're tuning in, it's appreciated. The two most important games around here this weekend will be played in Raleigh and in Tampa. So here's what I think is going to happen, starting with the Panthers. I think reality of who this team actually is will reveal itself against the Buccaneers. Because last week, to me, the more and more I think about it, re-watching it twice, three times, it seems like a mirage. You'll look at Joe Brady, his first game as Panthers OC. Matt Rule, his first game as Panthers head coach. Teddy Bridgewater making his first start with the Panthers. They scored 30 points. Panther fans feel like if they get a half yard, they're going to win that game. Everything seemed great, except for the fact they didn't win the game. But they were at home. The Vegas Raiders, they're not a playoff team. Teddy, he was only sacked one time. Vegas last year, 26th in the NFL in sacks. And now they have to go on the road, and they have to play in Florida at 1 o'clock in the afternoon in September. I think that was a big factor for Indianapolis in Jacksonville when they had that surprising loss. We were all scratching our heads wondering what happened there. Well, Florida, 1 o'clock in September, it can really get you. Conditioning probably isn't as good this time of year as it usually is with the inverted offseason and training camp being different as well. I do like Matt Rule's tempo and the way they ran practice, but still, you don't really know what it's like until you step into it, and Tampa has been practicing in it each and every day. Also, Tampa is a better team than I think they showed in New Orleans last week. Last week's game to me, the game in the Superdome, it struck me as being more about the Saints than it was the Buccaneers. Not every game has to mean something bigger and broader. Also, if something, if a game does mean something, it doesn't have to mean something for both teams. To me, I learned Sunday, the Saints, they probably have the best roster in the NFC. Continuity matters. Same OC, same DC, same quarterback. They didn't need OTAs. Tampa probably needed that. Gronkowski's coming off retirement. Leonard Fournette's been there a week. Tom Brady's still learning the playbook. Those things take time. Carolina's dealing with a lot of those same problems, but now they're playing a much better team, and they're doing it away from Charlotte. Here's where the game is going to be decided, though. This is where reality's going to set in most. The Panthers have no chance up front. I just don't know how it happens. Carolina did not have a sack against the Raiders last week, and that was with... Their Pro Bowl defensive tackle, K.K. Short, who with his foot injury, we learned today, will be out for the Bucks game. A captain, a starter, he's out. The big concern I have with Carolina, the only way I saw this team being a terrible 2-3 win team was if they had attrition up front. They couldn't afford it. They don't have depth on the offensive or defensive line. So they don't have KK Short, which means Zach Kerr and six-round pick Bravion Roy is going to be starting in that spot and rotating there, along with seventh overall pick Derek Brown. Also, we learned Yaturgros Matos, the second-round pick, the edge rusher who's rotating with Steven Weatherly, another guy who was dealing with an injury, a hamstring on Sunday. He's not going to play either. He's still in the concussion protocol. Offensive line, Dennis Daly, he's going to miss his second consecutive game. Tampa isn't the team you want to mess with struggling up front. Remember I mentioned the Raiders were 26 in sacks per game a year ago? Tampa is top five, was top five. We saw it both times Carolina played uh, Tampa. It was who, Robert? Shaq Barrett? Good luck dealing with that. And they also have Sue. And Jason Pierre-Paul. A guy like that. JPP. He could blow things up. Like his hand. I wasn't going to go there, but I think I easily set up the volleyball for you to spike that down. So that's one side of the ball. 
other side, how do you expect Carolina to get pressure on Tom Brady? No sacks against the Raiders. Now you're going to go up against Tampa. The one thing you can't do against a Tom Brady team is give him time to throw because we've seen it for two decades. He will tear you apart. I don't care if Dante Jackson is starting and he's healthy. I don't even care if Chris Godwin doesn't play Sunday. It doesn't seem like he's going to. Tom Brady, if he has time to throw, is going to pick you apart with anybody who's there. That's what it's going to be. The Saints, the reason they won on Sunday, they got pressure on Brady. They sacked him three times. They hurried him. They forced him into mistakes. Carolina didn't have a turnover or a sack last week against the Raiders. Not going to happen against Brady. Not with a team that has urgency starting 0-1 with a ton of expectations on their shoulders. The Bucks, this is the clincher here. They know how to stop Christian McCaffrey. Nobody else knows. Nobody knows how to contain him. Nobody did it last year. In 14 of the 16 games, he had 98 yards or more. That's receiving or rushing. Receiving and rushing, I should say. Combined numbers, total yards. The two games he didn't were against Tampa Bay. He had 51 yards and 57 yards against Tampa. Todd Bowles is still the defensive coordinator. He knows the answers. So I think last week was a bit of a mirage where we were allowed to imagine the Panthers' offense being an offense that regularly scores 30 points a game, Teddy Bridgewater not making any mistakes, clean in the pocket, the offensive line protecting a Panthers quarterback for the first time in forever. This week is where reality sets in. Tampa's a playoff team. They need to win this game. They're at home. I think they're going to prove it. They're going to beat Carolina 31-17. I do have my best bets, which we'll get to in 10 minutes. I'll go ahead and tip one of those picks. Wake Forest, plus two and a half. One of the picks I have, I think it's actually just plus two now, at NC State. I think they're going to beat the Wolfpack because they're a better team and a more prepared team. Here's a key number for you. Wake's won three straight against NC State. You probably already knew that. You maybe even knew, because we mentioned it earlier in the week, Wake hasn't beaten NC State four straight times since 1954. The ACC was created in 53. One of Wake's greatest alums, Arnold Palmer, turned pro in 1954. Wake Forest is coming off an eight-win season. That's twice as many wins as NC State had. They crushed the pack last year. Wake Forest, this time they're the ones that have the first-round pick at defensive line, not NC State. I'm not convinced this O-line the Pack has can contain Boogie Basham. I'm not convinced Devin Leary can't make mistakes as a sophomore because Wake has a massive advantage, their biggest advantage, at quarterback and coaching continuity. That matters when you don't get spring ball. That matters when you don't have to learn a totally new offense or a totally new defense. Sam Hartman... Despite the fact he's a sophomore just like Devin Leary is, he's started twice as many games as Devin. I think he's a better quarterback, more prepared quarterback. And Wake Forest retained their offensive and defensive coordinator. Coach Hempel and uh, Warren Ruggiero still around. Meanwhile, NC State, after the 4-1 year, you got a new OC and a new defensive coordinator. I also think it's an advantage that Wake Forest played this week, uh, already played this season. They played against Clemson, got their feet wet, finally tackled against somebody that wasn't their own team. I think that's a big deal. I think it's why you saw some big upsets, some head-scratching upsets last weekend, where Houston Baptist almost beat Texas Tech, where Arkansas State goes in and knocks off Kansas State. Those teams had already played. And I think that's going to be an advantage for Wake Forest. Katie George was with us yesterday from the ACC Network, going to be on the call uh, for the game. And she mentioned it's a double-edged sword when you consider NC State can look at your formations, can look at uh, the, can look at your personnel, 
while it's a little bit of a guessing game for Wake Forest, these teams play each other each year. Let's be honest. They play each other each year. They know exactly what they're rolling with. It's a little bit more of a guessing game for Wake, I guess, because of the new coordinators, but I still think it's an advantage for the Deeks that they played a week ago. Home field advantage means zero here. Literally zero. I see some saying, oh, home field advantage doesn't matter across the board. I don't agree with that. I just mentioned the Panthers go into Tampa. I think home field advantage matters a little bit there. But in Wake's case, they don't have to get on a plane. There's no time change. There's no weather adjustment. There are no fans at this game. Wake is going to a place they haven't lost. Any of these players haven't lost in. None of these players knows what it's like to lose to NC State, so they're confident. They expect to win. They have a bad taste in their mouth after last weekend. They don't feel it's representative of who they are when they play the Clemson Tigers. I think I got an advantage at coach, at quarterback, and confidence, already playing in preparation. So I think Wake Forest wins the game outright. It's kind of crazy that they're a two-point underdog here. But that's only one of my five bets. I've got four more to go because it's about time for my best bets. Four and one last weekend, six and two to start the season. I'll share with you the rest of my picks for the weekend next on The Drive. Want to become a real sports fan? Leave it right here. It turns everyone it touches into raging psychotics. All things sports. Well, sometimes. On The Drive with Josh Graham. Let's make some money as it's time for best bets. I don't really bet any of my own capital on these games, but I have no problem helping you bankrupt a casino. Last week, 4-1 with our picks, 6-2 on the young season. Robert Walsh, you got your notepad out, ready to figure out ways to get free money this weekend? I know you're about that. You're all about stocks. Why not free money in this way? Uh, stocks are a little safer, and I don't trust a guy who doesn't put his money where his mouth is. You need to start putting some bets down. I used to, but, you know, we we have a proven track record where 60% two years ago, 50-40-5-3 last season, 5 over 500, and this year we're off to a good start. You know, I don't have to do that. I I My reputation's on the line. What I think is going to happen. I put a lot of thought into this, uh, a lot of research, follow it very closely. So I have the track record to back up why we do this segment. And even if I didn't, eh, I'd still probably do it anyway because I think it's fun. It's time for Best Buys. Your attention, please. Please do not turn off your radio. Why? I got five, Robert. One, two, three, four. Five Five bets. For the football weekend, and let's start with Appalachian State Marshall. App State, it was a tighter game than the score reflected in the rain in Boone last weekend. They survived against the Charlotte 49ers. I think this is one of the best group of five teams in America, but it's going to be a closely contested game as they go up north to West Virginia to play the Marshall Thundering Herd. I like the over here. The total is 59 and a half. I think it's going to go over that. I see both teams scoring into the 30s. Weather's supposed to be good. They put up a lot of points up there at Huntington. Two fantastic quarterbacks. Zach Thomas is the experienced starter for the Mountaineers. Marshall has a kid you're going to be hearing about for the next few years. Redshirt freshman Grant Wells. He was throwing darts in the 50-point win against Eastern Kentucky in their opener a few weeks ago. I think this goes over 59-and-a-half. I wouldn't be stunned if Marshall pulls off the upset, but I like App State's defensive front seven just a little bit more than Marshall's to think they get a stop when they need to at the end. Put some money on it. Georgia Tech plus 7-and-a-half against UCF. Jeff Collins, man. He is a motivator. That guy has a lot of energy, and he's a great recruiter. He's all things Georgia Tech. We thought it would be a really long rebuild for the Yellow Jackets. I don't think they're going to be really competitive in ACC play, but I think UCF is a little overhyped here. 
now that they don't have Scott Frost recruits, we're seeing what Josh Heupel's all about, which is okay, just not ranked in the top 25 type of good. Ton of players opting out. UCF on top of that um, is just playing their first game of the year. I think that's an important thing. Georgia Tech, they played last week. They beat Florida State in Tallahassee. Off to a really good start. I believe in Jeff Collins. And even though many of these players are still players recruited by Paul Johnson to run the triple option, not on defense, and they play tough defense. So seven and a half, I like that I'm getting more than a touchdown here. I'm going to go with the Yellow Jackets to pull off the upset. Put some money on it. Wake Forest, plus two and a half. I've covered this game. I think I'm going to be at this game tomorrow night against NC State. I think they're better than the pack. I think they're more prepared than the pack. I like the continuity they have at quarterback and also on their coaching staff. Those are things you have to think about in the age of COVID that really we probably overvalued in the past. The Demon Deacons win this game outright, but I like the fact I'm getting points anyway. In fact, it's not two and a half anymore. It's down in some places to one and a half, but most places I see at this moment is two. So I'll lower it to two points, Wake Forest plus two in Raleigh. Put some money on it. To the NFL. The Washington football team is getting seven at the Arizona Cardinals. There is a lot that you're going to see in week one that looks really strange and is going to look even stranger when we examine it by the end of the year. I think Arizona beating San Francisco was the more surprising result. The only game that might be more surprising than that is Washington beating Philadelphia. I think in terms of yards per play, it's the lowest any team's ever had in NFL history to actually win. Washington pulling it off, coming back from 17 down against Philadelphia. That's the definition of an aberration. I do like Washington's defense, though. Usually I'd be concerned about going multiple time zones, but it's a bigger concern going west to east than east to west. Seven points is a lot here. I think Washington could pull off the upset because I'm getting an advantage at coaching with Ron Rivera over Cliff Kingsbury. This defense is legit. I think it could really disrupt a lot of what Kyler tries to do. If Washington loses, it will be by either a touchdown or less. So I think this is a pretty good bet here. Give me the Washington football team on the road in Phoenix. Put some money on it. And lastly, Eagles, Rams. It was a pick Now it's Eagles minus one. The fact that this is close to a pickup, I'm going to take the Eagles all day. They're going to get some dudes back in the front, uh, in the trenches. They're getting Miles Sanders back. He's expected to play. The Eagles should have won last week. The Rams, they are going west to east. One o'clock game in Philadelphia. They played in the night game on Sunday, too. This has Eagles written all over it. A lot of urgency. They need the win. I think they're the best team in the NFC East. Carson Wentz, I get an advantage at quarterback. They're going to win this game at home against the Rams again in the win column for the first time this year. Put some money on it. To recap the picks, Marshall, App State, over 59.5. Georgia Tech plus 7 in the hook at home against UCF. Wake Forest plus 2 in Raleigh against the Pack. Washington football team plus a touchdown in Arizona. And the Eagles minus 1 against the L.A. Rams. Put some money on it. 4-1 last week. Robert, which of those picks do you like the most? Which one was I most convincing about? Uh, probably Wake Forest, I would say. But for me, that Eagles game is just a little sketchy to me, that offensive line, despite getting Lane Johnson back. One point, that's a lot. Right. There, I think anytime you're talking about an underdog in a game, or anytime you're talking about the NFL, there's always generally a matchup that scares you. And the one thing is the fact that Carson Wentz got sacked, what, seven times last week? Eight, yeah. And it's going to be Aaron Donald on that front. That is something that scares me. But that's why you got to value quarterback play. you got to value coaching. I, I think an urgency matters as well when you're 0-1. I, I still like the Eagles to win it, and I like the line that I'm getting here. Just don't overreact to the first week. Think about it how you would have thought about it a week ago. Eagles at home to the Rams. I think that would have been a three and a half, four and a half point spread. So I think I'm getting good value there. Ryan McGee is going to join us in a little less than 10 minutes from ESPN, one of our favorites on college football. 
How about the Cleveland Browns last night? Did you find yourself more impressed with the talent Cleveland has or Joe Burrow, his willingness to keep pushing forward, how tough he is throwing it 60-plus times, and keeping the Bengals in the game till the very end? Yeah, definitely more impressed with Joe Burrow because that Bengals defense is doo-doo water, as you like to say. They're not good. And it did I not think you say doo-doo water. I don't know if I do. I, I promise you I do not say doo-doo water. But oh, wow. either way, I digress. That that Bengals defense, I mean, you could run for 100 yards facing that Bengals defense. So definitely more impressed with Joe Burrow. Here's my takeaway from the game. If the Browns don't make the playoffs, it will only be one person's fault, and that's Baker Mayfield. They are loaded everywhere, Robert. Everywhere the Browns are loaded. Best one-two punch at running back in the NFL. Kareem Hunt was really good. We know what Nick Chubb's capable of. Wide receiver, you got Odell Beckham. You got Jarvis Landry. You bring in Austin Hooper at tight end. Is Njoku still around? He's on IR. Oh, he's on IR. Offensive line. You bring in Conklin. You draft Tristan Wirfs. That's just offense. Defensively. You know, D-line, I like Sheldon Richardson. Ripping uh, Joe Burrow to the field like he's a rag doll. Miles Garrett, the strip sack fumble. Denzel Ward in the secondary. They're loaded everywhere. The quarterback, like it or not, you get more credit than you deserve when you win. And you get more blame than you probably deserve when you lose. Baker has no problem doing the magazine covers and being in all the commercials and all of that. If they don't get to the playoffs, it's going to be on him. He's the quarterback. He's the number one pick. I thought he was really good last night. Two touchdowns. He had that one pick he probably would like to have back, but he was at 70% completion. The Browns scored 35 points. It's a good takeaway to say that Joe Burrow impressed, but Baker did enough to win. If he does that week to week, it should be enough for the Browns to be a playoff team because they also have a favorable schedule. The Ravens only one more time. They don't have the Chiefs. They don't have the Patriots. The NFC opponent they face, the NFC division, that is, that they face, the NFC East. So they're going to be going up against the worst division in the NFC, maybe the worst in the NFL. Hey, we got Washington twice. Got to go up against the Giants twice, the Cowboys twice, the Eagles. Who knows how banged up they'll be by the time they face off. Or should be they play them one time apiece, all those teams. That's a pretty favorable schedule. So if they don't get to the playoffs... I think the person that's going to be blamed most, and in this case, I think rightfully so, because of wow, how well-supported he is, now they have a new coach even, is Baker Mayfield. I think it'll be warranted this year. ESPN's Ryan McGee will tell you and I the best college football and minor league baseball stories you've ever heard. Next on The Drive. All right, let's go. Oh, I'm so excited. And three, two, one, go. The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Before we get to football with Ryan McGee, who has the new book we've been talking about for a while, Outside Lines and Bloodlines, he wrote with his brother and his dad. Also watch Marty McGee on the SEC Network and on ESPN Radio. Tomorrow morning, I know you're a big fan of all the superhero movies. I saw yesterday for charity, a bunch of celebrities did a reading, a table reading for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And a lot of people were upset at me on Twitter because I admitted, even as someone who claims to be a big fan of movies, I've never seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But what would upset Ryan McGee more? That revelation, or if I told you I haven't seen any of the superhero movies that make up the Avengers. So you, you are you making that up, or is this for real? It's true. It's true. It's not wow. theoretical. Well, I just would say, um, well, my question for you then is, do you intend to, or has this just become like a thing for you now? Like, like, so you can just say, I'm not a think. hipster. If it's a good movie, I'll go out and see it. In fact, I think I saw the first Iron Man. I haven't seen Captain America, haven't seen Captain Marvel or any of that, none of the Avengers movies. And you know what? I saw Guardians of the Galaxy too, so that's a lie. I saw Iron Man and Gar Guardians of the Galaxy. That's it. So you, you saw Guardians of the Galaxy too. 
So you didn't see the first one? Oh, no, no. I saw the first one. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Well, um, all right. Well, then you should at least watch. You should just, if all, if nothing else, you should just watch the first Avengers movie. That's all right. For movie. you, Ryan McGee. Yeah. Out of all the ones that exist, Hulk, Captain America, the Avengers movies, you name it, I, I will watch one superhero movie for you. Which one am I watching? No, watch the first Avengers because, because honestly, um, you know, it's 10 years worth of movies that are so, I mean, no, no one's ever done it like this. They're so woven together that, you know, if you just jump directly into like the last two, Infinity War and Endgame, you, you, you'll know what's going on, kind of. All right. I have three movies written down that I need to go see now. Stan Cotton told me at the Radio Ranch I need to go over to his place and watch The Outlaw Josie Wales. Haven't seen that. Need to watch right. Fast Times at Richmond High because of last night and me getting bashed on Twitter. And I need to watch the first Avengers movie. So I'm going to do all of that. Ryan McGee's on Twitter at ESPN. McGee in the book again, Sidelines and Bloodlines, came out this week and it's getting great reviews. Tomorrow, it's Wake Forest, NC State in Raleigh. It is a rivalry that dates back to 1910, uninterrupted. The only rivalries that have played uninterrupted longer in the country, Clemson, South Carolina, which isn't going to get played, and Wisconsin and Minnesota, which as of Wednesday of this week, wasn't going to get played until the Big Ten's announcement that they're going to be playing ball starting October 24th. When you think about the Wake-NC State rivalry, as somebody whose brother is a Wake Forest alum, you yourself growing up an NC State fan, what comes to mind first? Well, it's interesting because I attended a lot of those games, and um, and I'll give you, I'll tell you one. I, I'm pretty sure this was an NC State game. Was um, there was in the early '80s, and I don't even Dad. Did, I know Dad did not officiate the game because we lived in Raleigh. And so, per the rules, you know, if you live in Winston-Salem, you can't officiate Wake Forest games. If you live in Chapel Hill, you can't officiate North Carolina games. So, so we lived in Raleigh, which meant Dad couldn't officiate NC State games. He worked all the scrimmages and all that stuff, which is great for me. I got to go to practice all the time. But what I remember about Wake State, I'm pretty sure this was an NC State game, was I went and it was, it was Royal Ambassadors Day, which those, those were the Baptist Boy Scouts. So the, the, the Baptist, the Baptist, Southern Baptist version of the Boy Scouts, and Wake Forest at that time was still very, still very much tied into the Southern Baptist Convention. And I remember it because Grove Stadium, what we used to call it, and there was probably of the thirty thousand people that were there, probably twenty three thousand of them were, you know, preteen boys. And Tanya Tucker sang the national anthem, and and she had on a pair of yellow blue jeans. That I it's it's impossible for me to describe without being fired, and I have always talked about that game because I felt like she turned probably twenty thousand preteen boys into men like immediately, <laughs> and I've all and I've always told that story and it's funny it's so like I mean for I, I guarantee you right now in the car in Winston Salem. There are several dozen dudes going, oh, man, I was there. Because to this day, if I ever bring that up, at my grandfather's funeral, I was sitting and talking with the pastor about his eulogy, and we just started talking about football. And uh, he goes, you know, I've been to gaming forever. He goes, I used to take the RAs to Wake Forest. I go, man, I said, I went to an RA day. And he interrupted me and said, Tanya Tucker had on those yellow blue jeans. So that that's the best NC State Wake story I've got. <laughs> Ryan McGee with us here. I don't want to make things, I don't want to put a damper on things because it is Friday afternoon, but uh, here in uh, sports media, it is a tight-knit community. It's a tight-knit fraternity. And earlier this week, we learned that there were layoffs at the Winston-Salem Journal and also at the Greensboro News and Record, a handful of sports writers who are really good not working this week, um, including Wake Forest beat writer Connor O'Neill, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, and somebody I respect so much, and I know you do too, in Ed Harden, who's been writing for the Greensboro News and Record since I think 88 and been a columnist since 1997. What was your reaction to what happened in the triad this week? Uh, it was terrible. And um, and it was unfortunately um, indicative of just this is what's happening everywhere with newspapers. 
Um, and it's, it's a little scary to be honest with you. It's not just a sports thing. It's, it's a, it's a you know local media keeping everything in check thing. And, and, it, and it frightens me going forward. I and mean, I'm, I'm holding a copy of the Charlotte Observer right here and it is super thin like it is. And it costs $2. And so that, that business is struggling, but, um, you know, I, everybody there I respect so much and I've always appreciated the fact that those papers continued to work so hard to cover things locally. And now obviously the, the parent companies of those papers have decided that's not a priority. And I tweeted this yesterday and, and I, and I mean it. Um, I don't care what the spreadsheet says. If, if someone who's running a newspaper believes that their paper is better off with Ed Harden, without Ed Harden, they don't give a damn about newspapers. Um, because he's my favorite sports writer and I'm not just saying that's cause he's my friend, but I'm saying that because I read him for a, a decade and a half before I even knew him. And so, you know, anyone who thinks that the industry is better off without Ed Harden, um, just because a bean counter, uh, didn't like the way that the beans were counted up. Um, you know, to hell with you. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for your decision-making skills. I don't have time for, as a journalist, I just don't get it. And, um, and Ed Harden is not just, um, the, the, he wins the North Carolina Sports Ride Year Award every single year. You know, I see him right there in Winston-Salem at the National Sports Media Association Awards, which sometimes I, I'm, I have the honor of hosting. And, uh, and it's not just about being the best columnist in North Carolina. He's one of the best period and no matter where you travel you hear that and so uh it was an honor and a gift for the people of the triad to have him in that paper every single day and to rob people of that is uh it's nothing short of a crime ryan mcgee of espn support his book sidelines and bloodlines i look forward to getting a copy and reading about it sometime soon but let's end things on a high note since i know you're such a great storyteller we get a minor league baseball story out of you. We're just continuing to mine you for these stories, so that way we can give them back to you for a book you're going to do sometime down the line. I think this week, or maybe the week before, would have been the end of the minor league baseball season if it had happened. But um, yeah, let's go back. Let's turn the clock back to the mid-90s, your summer, in Asheville with the tourists. What are you thinking about right now? What's on your mind? Well, I'm, I'm trying to remember... What all? How many stories? I've been telling these stories to you for so long. I'm Easily a dozen. Told, which I, have I told you about Captain Boom and the Coffin of Death? No, you have not. Okay, all right. So, you know, so the deal is you you have you have the kind of the goofy promotional acts kind of come in during the week. You know, the guys that acted like the Blues Brothers and back then Max Patkin, the Clown Prince of Baseball, and I think I told you about the Circuit Rider who mm-hmm. come in on Sundays and read scripture. But you know, the deal was you tried to have some sort of act typically on a weeknight to bring the crowd in. And we had a calendar with everybody on it. Well, our, our boss, Ron McKee comes in and gives great news. I got captain boom coming in. He's going to come in on, on, on uh, for the day, day game on Sunday. <laughs> well, like, who the hell is captain boom? And he goes, well, you'll see, you know, he's kind of a local act and which, you know, and you're in the mountains, of North Carolina, there's no telling what that means. Well, it meant exactly what you think because a conversion van pulled up and this guy and his wife got out. And he had on like a, like a, like a evil Knievel costume you get down at the dime, like at the Sky City, down at the dime store. And, and his family, and I'm, so when I say his family, I'm talking about like three or four kids from ages like 14 to like five. And he proceeds to go out to second base and lay down on the, on the ground. And they built a coffin around him that was made of like, uh, like we call it gator board, like fiberglass construction stuff. And it looked like a coffin. It was gray and everything. And they packed that thing full of dynamite. And we're all like, what is going on? And, and sure enough, like his wife does the whole thing where she like had the big thing look like it came from, like the Wile E. Coyote had it, like pushed the, the thing down. And there was this pause. And sure enough, there was an explosion at second base. And it blew that fiberglass stuff all over the stadium, like all over the field. And, and Captain Boone just laid there. And I thought, well, this is it. This was a great season, but we just killed this guy, so we're done. And what had happened was the concussion of it had stunned him. And his family, clearly they knew the drill. They all went running out there and started shaking him. And one of them poured a bottle of water on his face, and he sat up. 
And then he left, like stunned, like they had to help him off the field. And then we had to clean up the fiberglass. But Captain Boom in the coffin of death, um, the score was Captain Boom one, death zero. <laughs> uh, I love minor league baseball. I miss it so much. Um, but we could get a small piece of it on Marty and McGee in the morning tomorrow, SEC Network, as you wear a minor league baseball cap. That is Ryan McGee of ESPN. Sidelines and Bloodlines is the book. You can order it now and be sure to do so. Support the people who support us. Ryan, it's good to have you on. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. So that's Ryan McGee. The Carolina Panthers, they are big underdogs in Tampa this weekend, and quite frankly, they should be. However, if they were to do these three things, I think they could pull off the shocker. These three things need to happen in order for them to pull off the upset. I'll tell you what they are next on The Drive. Here's your mic check. Check, mic check. Test, check, check. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. I can't believe you actually think I hate Tom Hanks. Nobody hates Tom Hanks. But man... Kind of like questioning Beyonce. If you ever do it, there's a hive of people that are just going to come after you. I said that Tom Hanks hadn't done a good movie like in 15 to 20 years. And then people get really upset and I ask them to name a great movie. And the best they have for me is Toy Story 3 or 4. They both slay up. They both slay up. <laughs> Yeah, so it's the third and fourth iteration of a series, the best that Tom Hanks has done. And again, maybe my standard's too high for Tom Hanks, right? Where you have from 92 to 2001, every single movie he did was an absolute American classic. That hasn't happened really over the last 15 years. It's just like, if you're a big enough star, we just assume that your IMDb all the time is the greatest thing. Go and look at Julia Roberts' IMDb, for example. I watched My Best Friend's Wedding for the first time earlier this week, looked at the IMDb, not as impressive as you would think. You got some hits. I mean, you got Pretty Woman. You got um, Aaron Brockovich. You got My Best Friend's Wedding. But then there are a lot of movies I don't remember or were just absolute duds. And there have been a number of those for Hanks over the last 15 years. Anyway, the reason we're talking about Hanks, I got my top 10 list here. My top 10 Toms. It's in honor of Tom Brady, not Tom Hanks. The Panthers are facing Brady on Sunday. It's the first time the Panthers have faced Tom since 2017. Let's dive into the list, my top 10 Toms. I usually like it when you're thinking about what might be on the list. And if there's anything that doesn't make the cut, you let me know after the fact. On Twitter at SportsUpTried, if you have any guesses, top 10 Toms. Number 10, my number 10 Tom. Tom Cat Barber. Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. <laughs> Is that Tom Hanks? You got a lot of Tom Hanks. This oh, top 10 no. <laughs> oh, this, well, good. That's great. Can you name these movies? Do you know what movie that's Can from? you hear it? Can I play it one more time? Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. A name doesn't mean nothing to me. It's just a name. I don't know. Saving Private Ryan. Oh! Gosh, I should have known that. Number nine, top ten Toms. Tommy Roy. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. Yeah, we all know what that one is. Tommy Roy, a great movie in its own right. Woof. Do you like Tommy Roy more than Black Sheep, or no. do you have difficulty differentiating the two? I think Tommy Boy is way better than Black Sheep. Tommy Roy and Leaky Black Sheep, great movies with Chris Farley in it. That's a league of their own, by the way. Number eight, top ten, Tom's. Ian Thomas. We're the ones who are acting suspicious and paranoid. We're the lunatics. Us. It's not them. I just watched this movie for the first time since I was a kid a couple weeks ago. Is that big? Uh, the Burbs. Never seen The Burbs. Really? Is this going to be added to the list? Ryan McGee said I need to watch 
the first Avenger. Stan Cotton says, I need to watch. The Outlaw Josie Wales, albeit he won't let me watch it unless it's at the Radio Ranch. We need to figure out a time to do that. And on top of that, I haven't seen Fast Times at Richmond High. Do I need to add the burbs to that list? I, I would watch it. I think it's a lot of fun. You get to see Tom Hanks add a little heart and stuff to some <laughs> satanic rituals and whatnot. Oh, well, that's nice. Number seven, top ten Toms. Tom Sawyer Dillon. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Sawyer making a top ten list appearance. Did you let him know ahead of time? I did not. Apollo 13? There you go. Yeah. I didn't like that movie much. That doesn't surprise me. Tom Sawyer Dillon making the cut. Number six. Top ten Toms. Tommy Burleson. How come you don't have a laser, Woody? It's not a laser. It's a a little light bulb that blinks. (laughs) The original? The original. Right right. there on the bed. Tommy Burleson is an absolute legend. He was the big man for the 74 NC State team. Dorm Sloan with his jacket, David Thompson, the best player in college basketball. And here's a great story. When I was working with David Glenn, we were trying to think of questions to ask Bill Walton because Bill Walton will go all over the place. Um, You can pretty much ask Bill Walton about anything and it'll be good. And either I or Hayes Permar decided, hey – he was on that 74 team that played in Greensboro in the Final Four. UCLA, they lost that game. You should ask him about it. And the moment we asked him about it, he gets upset, as you can imagine Bill Walton would. And just he's just like, oh, I remember the date just like it was yesterday. It was March, whatever day it was, 1974, Greensboro Coliseum. And it was the devil. The devil, Tommy Burleson in the post that we had issue with. It was unbelievable. I'd stick to Gruden if I were you. I don't know, man. That was pretty good impression. Number five. My number five, Tom. Thomasville. Congratulations. How do you feel? I got a pay. <laughs> if you're a person that doesn't like Forrest Stupid Gump. Stupid is. Stupid does. Then... I, I will fight you in the street, yeah, as Josh if you, says. If you dislike Forrest Gump, there's something wrong with you. 336-777-1600 if you want any, uh, if you have any suggestions for what might be on the top 10 list. On Twitter at SportsUpTryon. Number four, my number four Tom. Tom and Jerry Stackhouse. Wilson! I'm sorry, Wilson! Wilson, I'm sorry! Are you a Tom and Jerry fan? Wilson! I'm sorry! Yeah, I like Tom and Jerry Stackhouse. Did you ever see the super depressing last episode where they both just sit down on the train tracks and just accept their inevitable end? Yeah, incredibly sad. Also, Tom and Jerry Stackhouse, kind of a jerk. At least in my brief interaction. He's from Kinson. What'd he do? What was he a jerk to you for? Uh, I was going to interview him, and I went to Kinston, North Carolina, where he was, you know, returning to his high school. And we had it all set up, ready to go. He's like, all right, you're going to see him in the coach's office. You'll talk to him for about 10 minutes. All right, sounds good. He knew all about it, or so I thought. Go into the coach's office. He's in there, Robert, and he has his feet on the table. He's lying back, and he goes, who the bleep are you i said i'm josh graham i'm i'm interviewing you oh yeah i said yeah yeah we, we i was talking to your guy about it all right man make it quick and he was kind of a jerk i feel like your feelings get hurt too easy maybe he was just in the middle of oh, a yeah. day uh, like i'm saying like just in my experience he was kind of a jerk that doesn't make him a jerk it kind of makes him he was a jerk that day. There you go. Hating again. Hate, 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 hate. Tom and Jerry Stackhouse. Number three, top ten Toms. Not my top ten jerks, top ten Toms. Tommy John. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. I didn't even Never wanna, know what you're going to get. I didn't even want to put that in there. I felt like it was too generic, but it's an all-time great Tom Hanks line, so I slid it in there. Sally Field is the mom. Just perfect. 
Your mom really does care about your education, boy. <laughs> Number two. Top ten Toms. Thomas the Tank Engine Atzer. Here's the Muppet for Hoach. I brought a Muppet for you. The Muppet Hoach. Hoach and Muppet. A Muppet Hoach. <laughs> I love Turner and Hooch, but you love Thomas the Tank Engine. Or who Atzer. It? There you go. Thomas the Tank Engine Atzer. Thomas the Tank Engine Atzer. I love those NC State teams in the mid-2000s. I can tell you the entire lineup. It was Hasty White, Ben McCauley, number 34 in the post. Uh, Dennis Horner. He was shooting it from the outside. Good stretch four. Um, gosh, who else was on that team? Uh, Gavin Grant was on that team. Brandon Costner on that team. But yeah, Engine Atzer. He was the point guard, man. Getting it done. I have no idea where Engine Atzer's from. You want to take a guess where Engine Atzer's from? And you don't know yet? I'm just guessing in the dark. Yeah. Uh, I'll say he is from Serbia. He's from Istanbul, Turkey. Cool. I was close. Where are we at? Number one. Number one top ten Toms, Tom Hanks Aaron. All my life, I've been waiting for someone, and when I find her, she's she's a fish. Nobody said love's perfect. Another classic. Have you seen? Do you know what that's from? I have no idea what that is. Splash. I haven't seen Splash. It is literally a fish out of water comedy where Tom Hanks falls in love with a woman who is also a fish. Isn't that the plot of Little Mermaid? Uh, I mean, it's kind of Little Mermaid, kind of, uh, I can't think of the other movie. I mean, it's it's kind of in the style. Yeah. She Daniel, can talk. Daniel writes in, how does Tom Richard Petty not make the cut? Mmm. Mmm. That would have been pretty good. There were a number of ones on the outside looking in. Tom Terrific Seaver, Tom Thibodeau, Tom Landry, Tom Crean, Tom Glavin, a Tomahawk Dunk. Zach Tom, who plays for Wake Forest. Tom Bahali. Remember Tom Bahali? I do. He didn't play a lot, but he got hurt a lot, too. That's right. So, a really fun top ten list this week. Also, Tom Ford Field was on the outside looking in. Continue to send in your guesses or your submission now that the list is officially done on Twitter at SportsUpTriad. With the Panthers, I think... A lot of what we saw last Sunday was a mirage. And there was some that was reality. I'll tell you what we should expect to see carry over in Tampa next on The Drive. Make some noise, make some noise, let's go. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. realize around here how different this area is as a sports market and when I say this area I mean the state of North Carolina outside maybe the city of Charlotte where you have a lot of people great population in the triad great population uh, in the triangle but really it's an area you could talk about college basketball 12 months out of the year there aren't many places you could say that, and at the places you could say that, they're not nearly as dense in population as this area is. So it's a really different market, and I love it because we can have guys like Brendan Markson, who covers Tar Heel football as of right now for the athletic, but basketball is your primary. You were brought in for the athletic to cover Tar Heel basketball and Duke basketball, so I want to do just that because this week... We know a start date for college basketball. It's going to be November 25th. The NCAA Division I Council met and announced that a few days ago. So everybody's scrambling. Jeff Goodman, he's trying to put out all this stuff, and Matt Norlander's trying to get to the bottom of things, and it's just a really fluid situation, it seems like. But the Maui Invitational is confirmed going to be in Asheville at the end of November, and it looks like the battle for Atlantis is going to be in South Dakota, but Duke, which was original, originally slated to be at the Battle for Atlantis, doesn't seem like they're going to be going there. Instead, they're trying to create a tournament of their own 
in Durham and want to center it around social issues. So we'll see what comes out of that. Brendan, here's what I got for you. It's a long setup, and I appreciate you being here. What do you think the non-conference portion of the calendar is going to look like for college basketball? It is going to be a basketball fan's heaven. Uh, so I'm absolutely going to be in paradise because the month of December is going to be so tightly packed with games because from that window, from November 25th, sort of Thanksgiving break, when uh, most students will be gone from colleges and they'll be back home until the start of the spring semester, in that five or so weeks, roughly, you're going to see the bulk of the non-conference schedule being played. And so it all has to be jammed in. So, uh, you know, some of the things we're talking about, some of the things we're seeing, we are going to see these MTEs, these multi-team events. We're going to see those uh, at places that you were describing. We're going to see it in Nashville. We're going to see it in South Dakota. We are going to see these on-campus tournaments as well. We're going to see situations where a Duke, a Louisville, other colleges are able to bring other programs to their campus let them use their facilities and, and knock out a number of non-conference games all in one bout rather than trying to figure out one-offs respectively. So um, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a patchwork quilt between what we see. It's going to be a bunch of different models for different schools. Um, but certainly all the talk about these different bubbles, the talk of these different tournaments, these different conglomerates of teams, um, what we're seeing right now is literally the tip of the iceberg. There are so many more conversations that have been ongoing and will continue to go on in the coming weeks. In the next week, brace yourself for a lot more basketball. What, what's the craziest thing that you've heard that you haven't been able to report because it's only been rumor? Oh, boy. I mean, there are so many different things. I, I think the thing that would surprise a lot of people is the caliber of teams that are getting looped into some of these things. So, um, obviously, every school is going to be trying to fill its non-conference slate all at once. But the collections, I think, are much stronger than someone like myself could have ever imagined they would be. We're not talking about, you know, one power five team and a bunch of random offshoots from the group of five. We're talking about legitimate multiple top 10, top 15, top 25 programs, all going to a single venue or a single uh, campus, that is, and all of them playing each other all at once. So I actually think that there's a very strong possibility that the non-conference hoop schedule this year out of necessity is going to be better than it is most years because Everybody's trying to prove they belong. You got fewer games to do it with, and you're going to try and knock it out all at once. So I really think it's going to be a great thing for fans. I think it's going to be a great thing for basketball. It's going to be a great test for these teams. Yeah, too. and we'll see um, if Greensboro's involved in that at all. I know, based on the reporting I saw by the uh, News and Record earlier this week, that they're at least reaching out to the ACC, seeing if there's interest in hosting non-conference games or having a bubble even for some conference games, if need be at that point. Follow Brendan on Twitter, by the way, if you haven't already, at Brendan R. Marks, read his stuff at the Athletic Carolinas. Based on what you've been hearing from off-season workouts, I've been getting texts from people saying uh, that some of these freshmen at Carolina, they look really good and all these things. I'm not sure if you should place much value on what <laughs> what's being said when you're going head-to-head in off-season workouts, let alone during a pandemic. But... What are you hearing in terms of freshmen going into Durham and into Chapel Hill, guys who might be turning heads already? Absolutely. So I think, you know, the guy in Durham who I've probably heard the most about so far is DJ Stewart. Uh, You know, about a 6'3 shooting guard, comes out of Chicago, winning program. He is someone who, who, from everyone that I've talked to, they just say, the kid can shoot. I mean, the kid can just flat out shoot the ball. He puts it in the hole. So that obviously would be a tremendous element for any team. But uh, for a team like Duke, losing the talent that it was, losing Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, to their primary perimeter sets, uh, I think it's just incredible to think what someone of, of the shooting ability that we're hearing from DJ could possibly do in Coach K's system. Um, and then if we go to Chapel Hill on the other side, there are, there are actually two guys who have been mentioned to me a couple of times, and one of them I don't think will surprise people, uh, and that's De'Ron Sharp. You know, I, I have heard from a number of people that he is just as impressive a physical specimen as you could ask for. He, he's just a huge person, um, and, and because of that, he has this natural rebounding instinct. People really don't know how other teams are going to move him off the block once we get into the bulk of the season. And the other guy who I've heard a lot about coming out of UNC, and I'm, I'm not surprised about this because I got to see him play personally and was very impressed uh, back in February, is R.J. Davis. You know, not, not one of the five-star recruits for UNC, but multiple people close to and around the program have told me he's an elite scorer. He's somebody who just knows how to put the ball in the basket, 
similarly to DJ at Duke, but definitely um, less emphasis on the shooting and more just he's so crafty, he's so quick, he's so dynamic playing with the ball in his hands or off the ball. I don't think a lot of people thought this, but it sounds like R.J. Davis has a pretty decent chance to start for the Tar Heels. Uh, would make for a super interesting backcourt there. A friend of mine even told me with R.J. that he's a guy who might be the Tar Heels' best perimeter shooter right now. If you're talking about three-point shooter, he might be the go-to guy. I don't know if that spells good things for the Tar Heels, but what do you think or who do you think might be the best perimeter shooter on this roster? I don't think that the person who told you that is lying, Josh. I I think there's a a very legitimate chance that RJ, by the end of the year, does sort of emerge as that person. But there are a couple other names I would throw in that conversation, too. Uh, I would would throw Kerwin Walton in that conversation. Uh, Was a late signee for the Tar Heels this spring, sort of on the fringes of the top 100. But everyone has told me that the guy is as serious about basketball as anyone that they've brought into the program this offseason. So they have really high hopes for him as a shooter. And, And then I don't think you can discount Caleb Love either. Um, him and RJ, they're both going to have the ball in their hands so often. I think they're going to present this really interesting problem for teams because any one of them could bring the ball up the court and the other one can go and play off guard. So uh, I think that Caleb or RJ is probably the guy who ends up doing that. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because, you know, there was a reason that this recruiting class was hyped up to be what it is. Now we're going to get to see what they can actually do. It's Brendan Marks with us here from The Athletic. So let's transition things to football. Charlotte not going to play North Carolina this weekend. They had one positive, and then with contact tracing, lost their entire O-line. So North Carolina, they're looking to schedule a game for next weekend, even though Bubba Cunningham in a video produced by Tar Heel Athletics said there was one program that said, hey, we'll play you two days from now. We'll get in tomorrow. We'll play you on Saturday. (laughs) Sounds a lot like that might be Army, but I don't want to speculate. But anyway, looking at next weekend, You've probably had a chance to look at all the teams who might be available. One of those being a team that plays tonight with Campbell going head-to-head with Coastal Carolina. The Roosters going into Lawrence to take down the uh, Jayhawks last weekend for the second consecutive year. Who do you like as a fit, potentially, for the Tar Heels next weekend? Yeah, you know, you mentioned Coastal Carolina, and to me, just out of all the options, if you are looking at September 26th as your date to, to fill a game in as a non-conference slate, Coastal Carolina makes the most sense. They make the most sense geographically. They make the most sense in terms of uh, readily available. Uh, I just think that's a really nice match made in heaven. But, but whether you can actually make that happen is a completely different story. The one option that I haven't heard a lot of and I don't think should be discounted entirely just because this is 2020 and nothing should be discounted entirely is the fact that UNC does have a later bye week. I believe it's right before the start of the basketball season in, in the middle late of November. So um, I, I wouldn't completely discount that date as a potential spot for UNC to add another game. Obviously, you don't want to go the rest of the season without having a bye week. But I, I do think that with the way that scheduling is going, the cancellations that we're seeing, I don't think it's inconceivable that there might be another opponent available for that date. gives you a little bit more time to plan and prepare on both sides. Um, so, so I think that if it were not to be Coastal Carolina – next weekend i might start looking down the line and see what we could do towards november is there a movie that brendan marks gets shamed for that he hasn't seen before because i'm getting all throughout the day oh you haven't seen fast times at richmond high i haven't seen it before uh stan cotton told me i need to watch outlaw josie wales earlier in the show today uh ryan mcgee said i needed to watch the first avengers movie haven't seen that haven't seen the burbs robert said i needed to watch that with tom hanks and then a caller last segment said, I need to watch Midnight Run with Robert De Niro. Apparently, that's a really funny movie. All right. What's a movie that Brendan Marks has been chastised for not seeing? This is incredibly embarrassing because I feel like every single person in the world has seen this. I've actually never seen Titanic. I've seen all what? the memes. I've seen all the, I've seen all the videos. I've seen all the, the you know, wannabe, the do-overs. I've never actually seen the movie Is it myself. too long? Is that it? It's just too long? It's, it's long, and as I'm saying this, my girlfriend is staring admonishingly at me uh, because she's asked me to watch it before. It's not like I haven't had the opportunity. Right now, when so. you're dumb, right when you hang up the phone, she's staring at you. I don't know if she can hear me right now, but right now, this need, it needs to happen. Titanic, paint me like one of your French girls, Brendan. <laughs> Josh, you're not wrong. I need to see it, but uh, that's definitely my most embarrassing one. And Unfortunately, I'm not too much of a movie buff, so... I'm sure I would draw a lot more ire than you do, which is which is a new thing. Okay, well, here's an, here's an idea. This could be great content. See, the Tar Heels 
See, I know you 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 have your free tomorrow. Like tomorrow, you were gonna cover North Carolina playing Charlotte. You're free. How about instead of live tweeting a football game like you were gonna do, how about you live tweet Titanic so we can all follow you covering something? That that's an interesting idea, Josh. I'm not sure how well my uh, engagement would be if I were to do that. I'm not sure that <laughs> Titanic in the midst of a college football slate is really going to do it. I'm, be surprised. I'm going to be more of a channel surfer tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing ideas out there. All right, Brendan Marks. <laughs> thanks for doing this, buddy. It's good to hear from you. Absolutely. You too. And hope everyone's staying safe. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. On Twitter at Brendan R. Marks.